Good morning, church. If you have your Bible, turn to 2 Peter 1. I'm going to be reading 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21 today. In many ways, 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21 is really uh, sort of the climax of our discussion on the sufficiency of Scripture. Now, this is a theme that's been running its way throughout the book of Second Peter. It's even uh, present in the uh, benediction that Peter gives at the beginning. And so as we uh, approach our time here today, what we're going to be doing is reading Second Peter 1, 16 to 21, and then we'll pray. Second Peter 1, 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until... Uh, The day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the chance that we have today to come and to gather and to study your words. Lord, we thank you for the Scripture you uh, have given to us, which is life to us, and it is a reliable guide to know who you are and to know your expectations for us, Lord. And so we thank you uh, for this chance we have to encounter you and your word. I pray that you bless our time here today. Help us to think clearly about what you're communicating to us in your Scriptures. pray that you protect us from error, Lord, and help us to uh, think soberly about the words you've given. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Well, because today we will be talking about the relationship between uh, Scripture and our experience, I thought it may be helpful to say a few words about my own personal experience as it relates to this subject. Now, uh, I don't particularly think it really matters too much you know, what has happened to me in the past or where I'm coming from. Uh, but then I do, you know, I do approach the scripture from a certain perspective. And I know that we all, uh, we all have our own experiences, which are meaningful to us and significant to us in a variety of ways. And so when we think about the Bible, we don't just come with a blank slate. We, we, we read the Bible in light of uh, certain events that have happened to us. And, and, and so as, as we're even thinking about this subject itself, it may just be, uh, for the sake of honesty, it may be helpful to tell you a bit where I'm coming from. Now, I grew up in the church, and I know for me, one of the struggles that I had from a very young age was the struggle of assurance of salvation. I know from for the in terms of the experience that I had in the churches that I would attend, I, I know that I went to many types of churches that uh, gave me probably 52 messages on how to be a Christian every year but then very little instruction on how to actually live the Christian life. And so for me, when I looked at the Bible, I I saw the Bible primarily as a book that's designed to get me to heaven, uh, which it is. Uh, But that's really all I saw it as. And so I I really had a a great difficulty connecting uh, 
this book, you know, as it comes to us throughout, progressively throughout history in a variety of forms, a variety of literary genres, a variety of authors, I, I had a great difficulty connecting this book with the experience I had on a day-to-day basis. And, and, and so for me, I, I look for voices and individuals within the church that I was, the church and the churches I was a part of who could somehow maybe connect the gap for me. Uh, because I knew that at the very least, this book's designed to, to help me to know how to be saved, have eternal life, avoid hell. But I really didn't understand how to approach the Bible in a way that would help me to know how to live or really help um, me help to explain the experiences that I had. And so as I uh, tried to pursue people in this regard, I, I found myself somewhat disappointed because it didn't seem like I could ever get answers to the questions I had. Now, I'm fairly, I would say I'm a fairly inquisitive person. I have uh, lots and lots of questions that come to mind. And so I, if you could picture my childhood, you'd probably picture a frustrated little kid with a ton of questions that no one really uh, had answers to. So that's kind of where I'm coming from there. Uh, and, and, you know, in, in my early college years, I, I did face somewhat of a crisis. I, I had uh, gone through a period of rebellion throughout my early college years, and I, I really I, I used uh, as an excuse the fact that there really weren't any scriptural answers that I could get from people. I, I used it as an excuse to kind of continue in rebellion against God. But at a certain point in my life, I, I, had to, I came to a decision. Uh, you know, I, I say that I believe the scriptures are true. I say that I think there is a God who exists, who is real, who's revealed himself in his word. But I don't live like it. I don't live like there's a God. I don't live like I believe the Bible is important to how I would behave. I don't live like uh, I'm a person who trusts in the scriptures in order to help me to know what to do. Uh, in fact, I mean, I can just rebel against these words without much conscience. I can disobey what God says and what I know, and I don't even feel bad bad about it. And I know that at a certain point in my life, I had to, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how to describe the prayer of my heart other than, uh, you know, I've lived my life selfishly. I've lived it for me. I, I've kind of messed things up for myself in a good bit, uh, a good way there. And so now I, I have to find out what this book says and do it. So either it's just I, I, I find out what this book says and do it or I just give up. Just forget it. It's not worth it. Right. But whatever's going to happen, I'm no longer going to be in the middle uh, to where I just give lip service to saying that this book matters and then don't actually live as if that's the case. And so for me, that set me on a journey to really read the scriptures and find out what they're saying. And one of the things that was remarkable to me was I realized that the Bible did give me a way to interpret what was happening around me. It helped me to understand why people do the things that they do. It helped me to understand why I do the things that I do. It helped me to understand um, what God's will was for me personally. And so as I'm reading the Bible, I'm realizing that I, I've had all these questions for years. I mean, I have a list. I have tons of them. I can just, they roll off the tongue. I, I can tell you, you know, my list of questions over and over and over again. And, and for the first time in my life, it was amazing. I think uh, God opened my eyes, and I all of a sudden I realized that there's answers here. There's actually answers in the book to all these questions that I have. And I, and 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 so as I was 
you know, reading the scriptures and seeing that there's answers and seeing that this is helping me to make sense of my life and my decisions and how I think and how I feel and how I behave. Uh, then there was renewed in me a desire to to go into biblical counseling because I, I looked at the Bible and I said, this is what we need in order to help people, right? And so I, I, I was looking for help um, without reading the Bible, but now I, I found that there's help here. And so uh, needless to say, I went into biblical counseling and, and I did so because as I'm reading the scriptures and understanding the scriptures, I think what the scriptures are saying is that uh, God's given me everything I need in this book to understand my life to know God's will, to know how to, do, to, to make choices that are pleasing to him. And, and so as I'm finding all these answers to all these questions that I've had for years and years and years, I, I want to help other people uh, find answers to the questions that they may be having, uh, knowing that no temptation has overtaken man, but which is common, right? And so that we, we all have uh, we go through common problems and, and that uh, as unique as our experiences may feel, they're all pretty... Uh, standard uh, in, in a fallen world, we um, we all go through the same sorts of things. And so I wanted to be a person who helps people from the scriptures because I believed that I could help people from the scriptures. Scriptures help me. I can help people from the scriptures. seems like the scriptures are saying that they can help uh, equip us fully for every good work. It seems like the scriptures are saying they're sufficient to help us to understand life and to know what to do. And so I wanted to help people. And one of the things I realized is that in attempting to help people, you know, it's it's a very it, it, a very unpopular thing to to um, try to help people uh, interpret their experiences. And so, when you're you're face to face talking with a person, uh, you know this this we we live in a society. You have to understand, we live in a society where experience is primary. And so this shows up in a multitude of ways. Uh, but, I mean, you know, as you're talking to a person, if you're trying to say, hey, there's answers here. Let's look at let's look to the scriptures and see what they say. Uh, it, you won't talk to people very long before you come across someone who's going to basically say, hey, you don't know what I've been through. And I'm going to say, you're right, I don't. So tell me. <laughs> So tell me so that I can understand, so that we can look to the scriptures and, and figure out what to do, right? But then uh, that phrase is kind of thrown out there as a um, sort of a preemptive strike where before we even start the counseling process, you can't possibly speak into this situation because you don't know what I've been through. You, you know, you don't know what it's like to be me. You don't, you haven't walked a mile in my shoes. And so, um, you know, the, the issue there is what undergirds that kind of mentality is that unless you've like live the same life I lived, you can't possibly speak into my, uh, into what I'm doing, right? Uh, so this this is sim, uh, you know this this problem shows up as it relates to to gender, right? So if you're a man who's trying to help counsel a woman, we imagine one of the things that you're going to hear is, well, you don't know what it's like to be a woman. Well, you know what? I find great comfort in uh, affirming that, uh, but then also. Uh, uh, I, I do find great comfort in knowing that, you know, Paul didn't know what it was like to be a woman either. And Jesus didn't know what it was like being a woman either. Uh, but they didn't feel any problems speaking into uh, the situations that others face, right? And so, uh, there, you know, often when you're trying to help people, I, I think that you, you have to understand that, that, that um, 
there's nothing that's more precious to people often than their experience. And, and it's very difficult to try to help people to rethink how they're viewing their experience, how they're interpreting their experience. But that doesn't mean that we're not called to do that, okay? So that's the point. That doesn't mean that we're not called to do that. Uh, and, and one of the things to realize is that God has given us his word in order to help us to understand our experience better. Now, no matter how unpopular it is uh, to try to help people to think through their experience in a biblical way, that's what we're called to do. And that's why the scriptures are given uh, to us itself. And so uh, there's um, so as we think about the subject today, we, we, we need to realize that uh, that that just just because it may be a sacred cow in our society uh, to talk and, and to try to help people to think through their experience doesn't mean that that's not something uh, that we should do. And, and so, uh, you know, experiences are not off limits to correction. Uh, feelings are not off limits to correction. Now, now I know that uh, in general, when most people come to counseling, what they're wanting is they're wanting someone to validate their experience, and they're wanting to they're wanting someone to tell them that everything that they think and feel and believe is 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 right and justified. And, and part of the problem there is, if everything was that you think and you feel is justified and right, why are you coming for help, right? So, like, just think about what's going on there, uh, you know. And so I, I know, like, if you're going to be the kind of person who uh, tries to help people think through their experience, you, you are in sacred cow territory. And you do have to understand that you may offend people and you may be viewed as a horrible, awful, offensive person. And so I get that. But uh, one of the things to realize is we, you know, when we're... Um, when we're searching the scripture, uh, the scripture might not have the same emphasis on the importance of our experience than we do. And, and we really come to no uh, clearer passage that um, makes this point than the one we're at today. Uh, so as you as you go through Second Peter 1, 16 through 21, uh, the first thing I think you want to conclude uh, when you're coming to this passage is that the apostles, the first, they had some impressive uh, religious spiritual experiences. And the first thing that Peter wants to know as, as an apostle is the apostles didn't fabricate their religious spiritual experiences. So Second Peter 1.16 says, We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter wants you to know as you're going to Second Peter to understand what God's saying through his, through his word. Peter wants you to know that the apostles didn't fabricate their religious spiritual experiences. Now, um, I, I do come from a long line of embellishers. So uh, I do understand how easy it is for stories to grow with time. Uh, if you do uh, come to some of my family reunions... You'll notice that at every reunion, many of the same stories are told. And uh, it, it, it does seem that each time the story is told, uh, it does seem to grow a bit. Uh, there may be some difficulties that you notice that uh, uh, keeping up with what actually did happen. It seems like this sounds a little better than it did last time, right? So um, it's often uh, difficult to tell the difference between the factual elements of the stories and the embellished elements of the story, but then if you do go to a few of the reunions, you'll 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 notice there's a pretty good probability you'll hear the same story, and then you're, there's also going to be a pretty good probability that you'll be actively participating in a disagreement over what actually happened uh, in the original situation there. So uh, the uh, 
the, the point there is, generally speaking, spinning a good yarn is perfectly fine for a family reunion setting uh, where one makes significant allowances for accuracy, right? So uh, does it really matter if it was a horse or a mule or a Shetland pony that bit Grandpa's ear off, for instance? Now, does it, does it really matter whether or not the ear was bitten clean off and Grandpa personally stapled it back on uh, himself? or whether it was just a deep gash, or whether the animal tried to kick him and missed. It probably doesn't really matter all that much. Uh, similarly, it doesn't really matter, I mean, unless you're an animal rights activist, whether or not uh, Grandpa grabbed the beast by the neck and slammed it to the ground in response, or whether it was the straight right that floored the vicious animal, right? Uh, generally speaking, one's safe to conclude that a horse-like animal got in a fight with Grandpa and came out on the on the bad end of things, right? So I think if we, uh, you know, there are, there's a time and a place for a good story, right? Uh, but one of the things that Peter wants you to know is that we all have we ha- we all have experience with cleverly devised myths. Um, and, and, and often, it is difficult to tell whether or not the creation of the myth is intentional or, you know, just the product of an overactive imagination, right? Uh, so we don't always know. I mean, I suspect in the family reunions, it's probably not an intentional thing going on that the story grows um, grows with time. Uh, because, I mean, the person who's telling the story seems perfectly scandalized when you disagree with any of the things he's telling you, Right. I think he generally believes what he's saying, okay? So uh, so I, I think the point is we, we all do have experience with cleverly devised myths, uh, but the, uh, the apostles seem to believe what they're saying, and they want you to have confidence that they're not just making things up, right? So... Um, now, as I said, I mean, you think about that family reunion example, and you think about the stories that the apostles are telling... Uh, you know, whether or not there's misrepresentation happening, uh, it's only important depending on the subject matter, right? So you're at, you're at the family reunion, it doesn't, it doesn't matter, really. Uh, part of it is, is for entertainment, okay? We, we get a kick out of it, uh, figuring out what Grandpa did this year, right? Uh, but then, um, for matters of life and death, heaven and hell, God's instruction for us, uh, the stakes are significantly higher, aren't they? And the apostles want us to know that they didn't fabricate their story. Uh, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what they're trying to say is, uh, you know, when you're living in first century Palestine, how do you verify that what we're saying is true? Well, you do so on the basis of eyewitness testimony, right? Now, uh, today, I mean, I think we have many other ways of verifying uh, the testimony that a person has. So, I mean, we all have cell phones with cameras on them. And I don't know if you've ever thought about how weird that is to have cameras on a cell phone. But when they first put cameras on cell phone, I thought, I don't know why those two go together. But um, apparently they do. Uh, but then if you want to verify any claim a person has today, I mean, typically one of the easiest way to do so is look at a cell phone video, right? Now, I mean, even that could be doctored in some way. We do have the technology that... Uh, makes these things not precisely 
certain. But, I mean, we do have other means today that they didn't have of verifying certain claims. And so the only, you know, the primary way they had was eyewitness testimony. But today we have cell phones and cameras. Uh, you know, uh, with the O.J. Simpson trial, that was the first uh, trial where DNA evidence was used uh, to make a um, a case one way or the other there. And so we have DNA evidence. We have uh, cameras. We have all sorts of ways to verify uh, testimony as far as that's concerned. But during the uh, first century of Palestine, uh, you, you really, the primary way you had to verify in claims was the evidence of two or three witnesses. And this is what the Old Testament says, right? You don't put someone to death except for on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so uh, the, the apostles are trying to say, hey, we, have a re- we didn't make this stuff up. We, we saw Jesus with our eyes. We saw him raised from the dead with our eyes. There's more than two or three of us, guys. And, 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 and so uh, you ought to trust what we're saying uh, in part on the basis of our eyewitness testimony. Uh, but then as, you, as you're thinking about like the claim that they're making, you realize it's a very serious claim they're making. So they're, they, they, and they realize that it's a very serious claim they're making. They're, they're the kind of individuals who just saw Jesus being put to death for claiming to be the Messiah. And so here they are. Uh, you know, they, they understand that claims have consequences. If they identify themselves with Jesus, they're going to be put to death. And so uh, what they want you to know is that, hey, you don't want to be a fool to uh, willingly face a possible death over a lie, right? Uh, so, some, so sometimes you can kind of judge the seriousness of misrepresentation, misrepresentation on the basis of what a person would die for. Well, they're clearly willing to die over their eyewitness testimony. But not only that, they're asking us to die to ourselves daily and to follow the instructions they're delivering to us. And not only that, they're asking us to, to stake our eternal destinies on the claims that they're making. And so at this point, it becomes very serious to know that they are not indeed uh, presenting to us cleverly devised myths. Correct? So the first thing we say is the the apostles, they want us to know that uh, they're not just making things up. They want us to know that they did not just fabricate uh, their religious experiences. We can trust them. Uh, Now, the second thing I think we see in this passage is that the apostles could legitimately claim the pinnacle of religious spiritual experience. So let's say that again. The apostles could legitimately claim the pinnacle of religious spiritual experience experience. So there's always going to be people who are going to claim to have remarkable spiritual experiences. Uh, sometimes it's done insolently, other times it's not. Uh, you know, people do like to hear good stories. Therefore, if you do have a good story to tell, uh, you, you may be able to end up on Oprah telling about your trip to heaven, for instance, right? And so, uh, you know, we do like to hear a good story, and, and there's plenty of people who uh, tell good stories, whether or not it's for Good reasons, innocent reasons, uh, bad reasons, whatever. Uh, the point, though, is that the apostles could legitimately claim uh, the pinnacle of religious spiritual experience. It, uh, Peter says, For when we received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So if you think about the apostles' experience, it is quite a remarkable experience. And that's only one of them, right? This is only one. I mean, they personally walked and talked with Jesus for three years. Like Jesus, like the 
the uh, incarnate word, the um, second person of the Godhead who came to earth, put on flesh and dwelt among us. They, they had plenty of good experiences, didn't they? They spent three years walking and talking with God. But then, I mean, if you think about how dramatic this experience that they have here is, uh, they, they saw Jesus in his glorified body. They saw Elijah and Moses standing there, and, and, and they actually heard the very words of God in an audible fashion. So, I mean, if you think about maybe many of the religious stories that you hear being told about religious experiences, this one tops them all. Right? This, is, this is the best story you can think of, right? And they want you to know that it's accurate. Now, um, I think uh, one of the things that we need to realize is that the apostles could uniquely claim to have the pinnacle of all religious uh, spiritual experience. So whatever we might claim about our own personal experience, whether they're religious experience or personal experience, uh, they have not been as ex- extraordinary as the apostles, and that's by design. Okay? In, in fact, it may seem like many of the religious uh, spiritual experiences which are presented to us often seek to kind of mimic uh, some of the, the apostles' stories, but then they often fall short of the exact details there. So often, I think you'll hear individuals claiming to hear from God. And unless you're in uh, fully charismatic circles, it's going to be rare to hear people say that they heard God speak audibly. So uh, in this case, they clearly heard God, a very God, speaking in an audible fashion on the mountain with an exact quote being provided. So they heard it with their ears. Uh, they they saw Jesus transfigured. So it's, it's a sensory experience here that we're talking about. But as I said, I think you often hear individuals claim to hear from God. Uh, but most of the time it falls a bit short of what the apostles are saying there. Uh, so in the extreme instance, you'll have maybe a direct claim to an audible word. And that may be pretty common in charismatic circles. Uh, but it's still, or I wouldn't say it's common in charismatic circles. I think it's it's still rare even in charismatic circles to have a direct claim to an audible word, uh, but then it happens enough to where it's not remarkable. Um, but John MacArthur describes an encounter he had with a famous tel- televangelist where the televangelist claimed that Jesus would appear to him in the mornings and speak to him while he was shaving. So Now, do you know what MacArthur's response to this is? MacArthur says, I have one question for you. When Jesus appeared to you, did you keep on shaving? Right? And that's a good question to ask, right? Uh, so, I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think there's any virtue in just believing any experience that you hear, uh, you know, but then think about it. What did people do when they heard uh, the voice, the actual voice of God throughout Scripture? Well, most of the time, they're pretty scared, weren't they? Most of the time, I mean, John can't, in Revelation, he, he's speaking to an angel and he can't even seem to keep himself from falling on his feet as dead, right? So, I mean, you, you have to understand that... Uh, Typically, to hear from God is in Scripture is a pretty uh, um, scary thing. Uh, so there, there's many who claim experiences uh, that are similar to this, but maybe not quite the same. Uh, so in that example, it's not it's only the second person of the Trinity, not the first person of the Trinity there. But uh, uh, but then I think more often than not, you have like an almost but not quite audible claim to hear from God directly. Uh, and so often people uh, are back and forth on this. And so they'll basically say something like, I'm not saying it was audible, but it was just as clear. Uh, or maybe it was audible in my mind, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, uh, because if it was audible, it would be with your ears. Uh, but then, you know, the point, though, is you know, there's some uncertainty as whether or not it was audible, but 
regardless of that, it was very clear that they're hearing from God in some way. So a Bethmore example here, uh, Bethmore says, I'd like to replay it to you in the form of a dialogue because when it occurred, it was as if God spoke every word concretely and audible, audibly to me. In reality, what I'll describe was expressed in my spirit rather than my physical hearing. After spending years in my relationship with God, seeking to know what he's like and how he operates in scripture, I, like many people, can get a sense of something he's strongly impressing upon me without hearing precise words. Uh, when the thoughts come to me out of the blue that I, I'm convinced did not originate in my own mind, if they're consistent with God's character and sound like something he would say in scripture, I usually assume it's him. Ultimately, time proves whether or not I discerned the voice correctly. If it produces substantial fruit, I would know it's from God and I was on target. If nothing comes of it, I probably misunderstood or accidentally ascribed it to him. None of us are beyond confusing our own thoughts with God's, no matter how many times we've been around the bin with him. So, not audible, but definitely have God. You know, I felt like God was saying to me, I felt like God was telling me to, I felt led to do this. Uh, so, uh, Often, my, my point here is just to describe some of the ways that we describe our own spiritual experiences. And, and, and you'll notice that they're often a bit short of the kind of experience that the apostles are claiming. So that's the only point I'm making. They're often a bit short of, uh, there's often a bit of confusion there. It's not as if you can just um, say audibly with words, I or, you know, with my eyes, I saw Jesus transfigured. I saw Elijah and Moses, and Jesus, and, and, and God is actually saying, this is my beloved son, whom I'm well pleased. Uh, it's often somewhat short of that. So my, my point is, notice with Peter and James and John, there's no ambiguous language. They heard the voice of God. They heard him speak. There's no confusion as to what they're hearing. They provide direct quotes as to what he said. They didn't have to struggle or strain and piece together God's unique message to them, scared they might be getting it wrong. No, they heard actual words with their ears, just like you would expect to hear if your primary means of receiving communication is through your ears, right? So uh, now, um, so the point is, the, the, as you're looking at this passage, you see the apostles are wanting you to know they didn't just fabricate their experience. In fact, um, you know, they could legitimately claim to have the pinnacle of religious, spiritual experience, right? So now, now this, the, despite the fact that the apostles could legitimately claim the pinnacle of religious spiritual experience, what's shocking here is that they subordinate their experience to Scripture. So, so let me say this again. Uh, despite the fact that they want you to know that they actually saw Jesus glorified, they actually heard God speak from heaven, despite the fact that uh, they want you to know they didn't fabricate this, they didn't make it up, that they can legitimately claim the pinnacle of religious spiritual experience, they're subordinating the importance of their experience to the written word. Uh, so uh, this is what's remarkable about the passage. Uh, Peter says, despite all this, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, and you would do well to pay attention to it. So even though the apostles actually saw Jesus raised from the dead, actually heard God speak on the mountain, experiences that none of us can claim, they are not asking us to have blind faith in their experience. They subordinate their experience to the word of God because Scripture is more reliable than their experience, and scripture is more reliable than our experience. And so the apostles' basic stance towards their experience uh, stands in stark contrast, I think, with the stance that many have towards their experiences. So this is true whether you're talking about counseling, whether you're talking about conversations. Uh, 
their their stance towards their experience is totally different than than our our typical response to our own personal experiences. So with the apostles, there's no just trust me attitude. Just trust me. I'm not making it up. Uh, They're not just simply saying that they're not uh, they don't seem to take it personally when people don't validate their experience. They regularly encourage people to search the scriptures to see with if what they are saying is so, because they understand the scriptures are more sure than even legitimate, verifiable experiences. Now, um, this is something that is uh, very clear when you read first Corinthians 15, three through eight. So Paul says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with what? With, with what? Because I, I saw it. Take my word for it. I, I saw it. I saw him raised from the dead. You just take my word for it. But no, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Right? Why are the Bereans praised? Why are the Bereans considered more noble than the believers of Thessalonica? Because they searched the scriptures to see if what they were saying was so. Right? So when you think about how the uh, apostles approach even their own legitimate, uh, non-fabricated uh, spiritual experiences, they want you to know that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed in the written scriptures. So the apostles commended the Bereans for searching the scriptures to see if what they're saying is so. They're not simply asking us to take their word for it and validate uh, whatever voices they may hear in their head. No, they're asking us to trust the Bible, trust the scripture, search the scriptures to see if what we're saying is accurate. So if the apostles, here's the point, if the apostles considered the scripture a more sure word than their experience, what does that say about our own? It says that uh, the scriptures are a more sure word than our own personal experience. And so that's the main uh, lesson I think we learn as you read this passage today. The scriptures are more reliable than our experience. They're more reliable than the apostles' experience. Well, they're also more reliable than our experience because they had better experiences than us. Let's be honest. Now, how do we respond to that truth? That's the point. So uh, if... If Peter is saying, hey, I didn't make this all up. I did see it with my eyes. I am an eyewitness. Uh, I did uh, hear God actually speak on the mountain. But we have the prophetic word more sure in the scriptures. How do we how do we respond to that? What do we do with that? Well, Peter's first application is to say you would do well to pay attention. Right. So let's read the whole passage so we can get the flow here. We did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, uh, which said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain, But we want you to know we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention. So this this instruction is to say, uh, you know, if um, if if the prophetic word is even more reliable than our experience, you'd be uh, you do well to pay attention to the scripture. And so our first point here is we need to pay attention to the scriptures. Now, I think in many uh, Many areas of the church, uh, we, we get this exactly wrong. 
And so there's, you have to understand, there is great pressure uh, for us to devalue and deprioritize the Word of God. I know that when I think about my own personal experience, struggling to know what God's will was, struggling to know how to interpret my reality, uh, it was amazing. The last thing I did during those times of significant struggle, struggle was actually go to the Word. I mean, it's amazing. It's like, you want to know God's will. You want to know what he says. Uh, and so uh, the last thing I would do would be to go to the scriptures. Well, why? Well, because I think somewhere along the line, I had accepted some notion that the only thing the Bible was going to do was tell me uh, how to get to heaven and then uh, give me a few, like a list of a few uh, do's and don'ts. And that's basically all that it was saying. And so uh, for me, you know, I viewed the scripture that way. I viewed it as, well, it'll get me to heaven. I, I think it, it's at least saying that. Uh, but then mostly what it's going to do is just give me a list of things I should avoid and maybe a few things that I should probably do. Uh, and then uh, so basically just what is the Bible? Well, it's just a list of do's and don'ts. And, and so but then the real the real stuff is elsewhere. Right. So if you think about the Bible like that, you think, well, it just gives you fire insurance and then tells you a few things to avoid and a few things to do, uh, then pretty much, uh, you know, I could give you a list of all the things it's saying, right? Don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Um, and, you know, it's, suppose and I, uh, I check those off, right? Um, then I'm pretty good there. I know I'm going to heaven. I, I, I got this under wraps here. Uh, but then, you know, I still want to know what God wants from me, and I don't really know how to discern that. And so, uh, for the most part, then, you know, as I'm struggling and straining over this, I think the last thing I would do is really just go to the Scripture. Well, why? Well, because it's not an encyclopedia, is it? So, I mean, when you read the Bible, you open it up, it's not like as if I can just kind of, um, which car should I buy? You know, and then I kind of open and, you know, and then there's going to be a passage somewhere along the line that's going to give me a direct answer to that question. And so if I if that's what I'm expecting it to do, well, it doesn't really come to me in question and answer form uh, like that. I mean, uh, sometimes it does give very direct answers to very direct questions. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, you have a particularly on the front end of things, you have a, a series of stories uh, about um, things that happened a long time ago. Uh, and then, I mean, even Jesus was about 2,000 years ago, and so most of the Bible's narrative, some of its poetry, uh, some of its proverbs, and so you have to... The, the point, though, is that like you have to do a lot of work to get to get to the goods, right? So it's not like as if it's just a quick fix. Like I can just, in a quick way, in one sitting, get a quick, queer, uh, quick clear, direct answer to a very specific question. Uh, no, I mean, often you have to put a lot of work into it and you have to do a lot of reading. And you don't often know uh, when all that reading and that work is going to be helpful, right? Uh, so, I mean, it, you know, it may not be in the direct moment right when I need it. Uh, but then uh, it could be that later on, uh, you know, God will bring to remembrance things you read years ago. Who knows, right? Uh, but so all, all I'm trying to say is that I think if we view Revelation as if it's just uh, going to be a quick uh, um, question and answer kind of guide, then what we're doing is we're denying the actual form of the Bible. It doesn't come to us like that. Uh, and so that may be one of the impulses we have to not trust the actual written word to help us. And, and we may think we need to rely on other things to help us. Uh, 
Let me give you an example. I, I had a, a, a friend, I'll say, uh, once who really felt like God was speaking to him through license plate signs. And so as he's going along his way, uh, you know, he would read the license plate signs and then uh, that would be a way of telling him what God wanted for him. Well, I mean, it's certainly a quick way of going about figuring out what God wants for you, right? I mean, like you just look at enough license plate signs and you pick one, right? Uh, but I mean, I'm just saying it's it's like uh, it's easy and it's quick and it requires no work uh, and everything else. Uh, but then um, like, they, you know, I so I understand how that could be like a quick up. Uh, quick and preferable thing, but then uh, if we really are following the argument that the apostles are making, what they're saying is we had the most dramatic and the most remarkable experiences you could ever think of, but you have a more sure guide in the scriptures. So uh, the first thing we need to realize is we actually need to pay attention to the scriptures, knowing that um, it's a lot of work to understand this. I mean, there's 66 books in this Bible, uh, and you, you can't read it in one sitting. Right. So, I mean, you have to do a lot of work to to often uh, get to the answers, uh, but the work is worth it. So we need to pay attention to the scriptures. We need to devote ourselves to the scriptures. Um, The the second uh, implication that the uh, that Peter makes from what he's saying is we need to view scripture as a sufficient guide to know God and understand his expectations. So first we need to pay attention to it because Scripture is more reliable in our experience. We need to pay attention to the Scriptures. But second, we need to view Scripture as a sufficient guide to know God and understand his will. Uh, so uh, the text says, As to, yeah, to, to, do, to which you would do well to pay attention, the relevant portion is, As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. So what are scriptures but a lamp shining in a dark place? When I struggled and strained to know God's will and wasn't getting much answers, when I started to read the Bible in a significant way, when I read it cover to cover, when I devoted myself to pay attention to the written word, I found this statement to be true. Scripture is a lamp shining in a dark place. If I could describe my life up until that point, I would describe my life up until that point as... Uh, A life lived in a dark place, and this was a lamp shining in a dark place telling me the way out. You understand? So uh, we need to understand that Scripture is a sufficient guide to know God and understand His expectations. And as I've said, I mean, look, I hate to use my own personal experience too much, uh, if you put the work into knowing what the Bible says, it will pay fruit. It will pay dividends. Right? So, I mean, I I can remember reading through the whole New Testament one time in order to answer one specific question. Right? So, I mean, like, you, you know, if you treat this book, the point is if you treat this book as a sufficient guide to know God and to understand his intentions, and you read it as if it's a sufficient guide to know God and understand his expectations, then what you'll do is you'll read through the whole thing a few times. So the first thing I did when I became a Christian, I read through the New Testament four times in a row, like real quick. So after I did that, one of the things I could tell you is I knew the contours of what I'm reading. Right? You read through it four times in a row, you understand 
Here's the basic contents of what it's saying. Uh, Here's the scope of of how God's communicating in his revelation. So then when I'm thinking about a certain situation, I'm thinking about that situation in light of the contours laid out for me. Right. So if you just listen, you know, I think it's easier to read the New Testament. You can listen to the Old Testament in audio form. But you really if you really devote yourself, you know, you could get through the Old Testament. Once a month, if you try in audio form, speed it up a little bit, Uh, just a little. But I mean, you do that and you know what's in there. And then it's not as if, you know, you just go to the scripture and it's just an immediate quick thing where you get a quick answer. No, I mean, you devote yourself to getting the Bible into your brain. You don't know when it's going to show when uh, when God is going to bring certain passages to your mind. You don't know when all of this information is going to be useful. You don't know. I mean, it could be years later where you realize that, yes, this is a sufficient guide to know God and understand as well. But uh, insofar as we know what's in there, you, one of the things to realize is insofar as you know what's in there, you know the contours of what's happening, uh, you realize, yes, this is a sufficient guide to know what God says. And so every single decision you make, you know, provided you know what's in the book, Every single, uh, say you know what's in there, uh, you know, every single time you have a decision to make, you're filtering that decision through everything that's communicated. But you can only do that if you know what's communicated. That's the point. If we know what God has communicated in his word, that's the only way we're going to be able to filter certain situations through what God has communicated. So when I was a young man, I wanted to get married. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why I had a desire to be married so early, I guess it was because I was anticipating um, Elizabeth coming along. Oh, she's not even here. Uh, That one didn't work. Uh, The point, though, is uh, I I did have a strong desire to be married. And and so, I mean, you know, just just one example of what I mean by the scripture is a sufficient guide to know and understand God's will. so, I mean, how do you go about figuring out how to marry someone? I mean, you can look for signs, right? You can do the um, Abraham servant thing uh, where you just say, Lord, um, let it be the one who I asked to draw water, and that'll be the one that I should pick for Isaac. Uh, now, i got to confess something here. I actually did try that once. Uh, I was at college, and I was... Uh, sleep, and I said, hey, let the one I'm going to be married uh, be the first person to talk to me that's a female. And uh, what was surprising is a girl actually did talk to me, and I was like, oh, I'm never doing that again. I will not. uh, Isn't that awful? So I don't recommend that approach. Um, But... um, Anyways, um, so, but then as you're thinking about just the scriptures are a sufficient guide to know and understand God's will, uh, don't, go with that, don't go with that passage. Uh, but then what did the Bible say? It says, marry whom you will, but only marry in the Lord, right? So as you're thinking in a biblical way, think about all that this communicated. Marry whom you will, marry, only marry in the Lord. So there seems to be a prioritization of what fellowship does light have with darkness, right? What fellowship does light have with darkness? So don't yoke yourself uh, to an unbeliever, right? Marry whom you will, marry in the Lord. So... It seems like, uh, you know, if I'm just thinking through one problem, just showing you scriptures are sufficient in one area, what does God say? Marry me will, only marry in the Lord. Okay, step one, marry a believer. 
Now, it does seem like you can marry wisely or marry, marry poorly, right? So, I mean, you can make a, a choice that's morally permissible, meaning marry whom you will, only marry in the Lord. But then uh, we, I think you don't want to just pick a spouse on the basis of it being morally permissible. So, um, so one check is, are they a believer? Uh, you know, if you want to follow Al Mohler's checklist, here, here's how it goes from the scripture. Uh, are they a um, member of the opposite sex? And then the follow-up question is, have they always been a member of the opposite sex? Because you have to ask that now. And then uh, three, are they a believer? All right, so assuming you follow, he, he said that, he's old. He, he, can, he can get away with things like that, and I can't. Um, now, but assuming you follow that checklist, uh, then you find out what's permissible. But then you want to make a wise decision, an unwise decision. How do you do it? How do you make a wise decision, an unwise decision? Well, I think... The, the culture has an answer, don't they? Culture has answers to these questions. What do they say? We need common interest. In order to pick well, we need common interest. Is that good? Spouse picking philosophy? What do you think? I don't know. People don't know. I, well, I think it would be preferable to have someone who likes doing things that you like, but is that essential? Someone said no. Well, Why? Well, because uh, Paul says in the Philippians, let's not look to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, right? Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ, right? Who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but uh, humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. So, I mean, if ultimately marriage is about a ser- being a servant, if, if ultimately marriage is about uh, modeling a relationship with Christ in the church, uh, then, like, I don't have to figure out how to find a person who's always going to like doing everything I always like doing, right? I can find... I can find a person that uh, likes doing different things than me, and then I can just serve them and learn to like the things that they like because that's what Jesus would do, right? So what I'm trying to say is uh, you got counsel of the world. It says common interest, compatible personality, uh, and then you have um, um, shared values or something along those lines. Those are the big three. Uh, but then, like, if I'm thinking, well, well Scripture's sufficient, then I think, well, is common interest an essential characteristic of a successful marriage? I don't think so. Because that assumes that people are fundamentally selfish and that they can never be anything else but selfish, right? Can't I learn how to die to myself and like doing things that other people like, right? So is common interest the, the big deal? No, I don't think so. Compatible personality? Who's knows, who knows what that is? Now, come on now. Like, who knows what a compatible personality is? Does that mean, like, I'm going to need to marry someone whose opposite personality as me in order to balance me out? Or does that mean I need to marry someone with the same personality so that we can be uh, just noxious together? Uh, you know, what does it mean? I don't know what it means. So, I mean, but is that a scriptural category? No, that's not a scriptural category. What does the Bible actually say on that subject? You know, that's, and so I'm, I'm just trying to demonstrate how to think, how to approach one problem from, from a scripture-sufficient sort of way. Well, the Bible gives a lot of advice in Proverbs 31. I mean, Proverbs 31 is written uh, to um, help a young man to understand what a virtuous woman is to look for. So you think about those kind of characteristics. How do you know how to marry well, uh, marry poorly? Well, what are some of the characteristics? Hard, diligent work, right? Read through the Proverbs. What do you see? What do you see that things to avoid? Anger, right? Significant anger. You have a lot of statements in the Proverbs about uh, better the uh, uh, corner of a rooftop than a quarrelsome person, right? Why? Well, because... um, 
what the Proverbs are trying to do is give us wisdom on how to make wise decisions. And so, I mean, as you're thinking about this, you want someone who has uh, clearly a believer. And so that's, that has content, right? Many will say in the last day, Lord, Lord, have we not uh, prophesied and done all these wonderful things and they'll be deceived. So we need to figure out scripturally uh, what a believer is, what a believer looks like, what are the characteristics of a believer? How do I know? Uh, how can I be confident that I'm a believer, that other people are believers? And so as you're, you're, you're trying to think, well, who do I marry? Well, you're thinking, how do I know what a believer is? What are the characteristics of a believer? How can I be confident that I'm dealing with a believer? I mean, that's the primary step. But then there's also stuff about character, hard work, uh, you know, tempers that need to be avoided and everything else. And so, I mean, you can have a, you can have an, an easier experience or a harder experience. And, um, but, but all I'm trying to say is as you approach it, you can approach it by just kind of doing a poll and figuring out what the world's saying. Or you can approach it saying, what does the scripture say? And I'm going to do what the scripture says. And I'm going to trust that what the scripture says is all that I need to know. And I'm going to make a wise decision on the basis of what I find there. Right? And so that's just one example of scripture as a light shining in a dark place. Whenever I counsel people, I counsel people from the perspective that, hey, all we need to know in order to help you make this decision is here. So let's search it out together. Let's see what it says. Right? So we need to pay attention to the scripture. We need to view it as a sufficient guide to know and understand God's will. And finally, I think we need to understand that our experiences are not self-interpreting. Uh, and now I get that from the past, the last two verses here. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as you, you think there, well... How do you get, we need to understand our experiences are not self-interpreting? Well, uh, think about the logic of the passage. The logic of the passage is the apostles are saying, hey, we had a remarkable spiritual experience and we didn't make it up, right? We saw Christ glorified. We heard the living God speak. But you have a more reliable guide uh, in the scripture than you do in our experience. Now, that's obviously true. Why? I know that if anyone... um, uh, this is a side note here, but why is that true? It, anyone who's ever dealt with the death in their family can tell you that the details of our experiences fade, right? It's often, as you look back, you can't remember the sound of people's voices. You, and often you can't really quite pin how they look. I mean, I, you know, that's a serious example, but when I watch old videos of our kids, and this is just a few years ago, uh, I, I don't remember what they sounded like. I don't remember what they, I mean, I don't remember, like I'm often surprised at how their voices sound and their mannerisms because it's all faded. And my oldest one's five. <laughs> so, but it's faded. In just a few years, it's faded. I don't even know what they sounded like anymore. I don't remember, right? So, uh, so obviously, we, you know, the, the, the apostles are saying, hey, we didn't make this up. Well, we saw God. We heard him. Now, do they remember what the voice sounded like? I doubt it. Do you remember even what Jesus looked like? I doubt it. I bet it faded. Uh, but they have something more sure and more reliable in the written words. Right? So here's the logic. We didn't make it up. We saw Christ glorified. We heard the living God speak. You have a more reliable guide in the scripture than our experience. Because the scriptures are not simply a result of one person's interpretation of an experience. There is a consistent voice behind all the scriptures, namely the Holy Spirit. Uh, therefore, interpretation is not a private matter. So there's a, the, the, the point here is that, that 
their experiences are not self-interpreting. They didn't just come up with some fanciful interpretation of what happened to them. No, there's one voice behind all the Bible uh, that is giving us one interpretation of what we find there. And so one, one of the things that I think we need to realize is that we, whatever has happened to us in the past, uh, you, you know, our experiences are not... Um, Self-interpreting. If the apostles interpreted their experiences through the more reliable written word, we should interpret our experiences through the written word because it is a written word which is produced by a consistent divine voice, which is a light shining in a dark place. So if you want to understand your experience, you need to understand the Bible. It could be that you come to remarkable conclusions from your experience that are completely unwarranted. Right. So our scriptures are not just self-interpreting. Let me give you an example. Now, I know that it's somewhat cool for uh, city people to take their kids to uh, farms now in order to show them animals and let them pet them and uh, stuff like that. Um, so just imagine that you um, were to, you know, on one of these experiences uh, of going to the farm, um, because that's the cool thing to do now. Uh, you see a cow staring at you. And suppose that the cow looks you in the eye and his 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 gaze lingers, and you don't quite know what to make of it. Okay, so that would be a strange experience. I mean, most of the time, the, you don't engage in staring contests with cows. I mean, I don't know. I I've never grown up around cows, so I don't really know if this is normal or not. But it seems abnormal to me. Uh, but but maybe it's not. I don't know. For someone who grew up on a farm, maybe this is a normal thing that you wouldn't even think anything of. But Kevin. <laughs> Uh, no, so, but then the point, though, is, uh, but you see, it's not, it's already not self-interpreting, because, like, based on my context, I would think that if a cow stared at you for a significant period of time, that would be abnormal. But then how would you interpret it? What would you make of it? Well, I've already made of the, I've already interpreted that it's abnormal because I have no experience with cows. So, but, like, someone else may have more experience with cows and correct me. I don't know. I'm open to correction. But it seems abnormal. But how do you interpret it? What does it mean that the cow stares you down? Well, I mean, I suppose if you're a Hindu person and you believe in reincarnation, that may be significant in certain ways, right? Because you could be uh, viewing a long-lost brother or something like that and uh, you know, I, I imagine that could be a remarkable spiritual experience there. Uh, now, what uh, if you're younger and you just took your SATs and you had gone through the SAT word list and you see the cow staring at you? You may conclude that this is an example of what the word bovine means, right? Like this is just a word picture of bovine, like dull-witted, lacking intelligence. Like this is a stupid cow. Like, and I know what that word means now because I saw the blank stare, uh, the expressionless eyes. I know what that word means. Um, uh, let's say, though, that you had, like, some secret sin that you're dealing with. And you're staring at the cow. The cow's staring at you. And it reminded you that God's eyes are to and fro on the earth. They're all over the place. And you think that cow knows. Now... My, my, my point, though, my, my point is that, like, what was the meaning of the experience? Well, you interpret the meaning of the experience based on what you believe is true, right? So what you believe is true 
what you know, you're going to look at that experience. And I imagine if, if, if all of us stared at the cow, or the cow stared at all of us, we would all come to some kind of different interpretation of what we're of what's happened. And so uh, my point, though, is that it's not the experience that's reliable. My point is it's not the experience that's reliable. It's how we view it. And how we're going to view it is dependent on what we believe already about what's in the Scripture. And so this is just one of the many ways that I think you can understand what the apostles are trying to do here. The apostles are trying to tell us that Scripture is more reliable than our experience because scripture is a light shining in a dark place that will help us to interpret the things that happen to us. And so as we go out from here, I I do want you to consider one way that you could show me great honor. Uh, Now, I know that I put some effort into studying the passage and uh, I know that I have prayed that God would allow me to not speak in error and to be faithful to what's written here. Uh, But one way you can honor my preparation is not simply to take my word for it, that I've faithfully proclaimed the truth here today. Uh, You could show me honor by honoring God's word and and searching it to see if I've faithfully represented what God has to say to us. Okay? Because Scripture is more reliable than our experience. So that doesn't mean in order to be faithful, you need to adopt a critical stance towards me or Pastor Kevin as we're preaching God's word. I mean, if you found Pastor Kevin and I to be faithful in the past, I think it would do you well to give us the benefit of the doubt that maybe if we say something confusing or that doesn't make sense, uh, you know, give us a chance to explain ourselves uh, before jumping to any conclusions. However, I, I think there's a difference between listening graciously and just taking our word for it. So don't take our word for it. I, we're, you know, be like the... Uh, be like the noble Berean. Search the scriptures. See if what you're being taught is right. None of us is beyond correction. Uh, you know, as we go out from here, I encourage us all to be people of the book who search the scriptures in order to know God, understand his will. Let us be like the good Bereans and see if these things are so. Let's pray.